Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message from Pastor Jason Branson. First Peter chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. First Peter 4 verse 7 says, Since we are approaching the end of all things. How many of y'all know we're approaching the end of all things? Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago and believed we were approaching the end of all things. The end is nearer than you think, folks. Since we are approaching the end of all things, be intentional, purposeful, and self-controlled so that you may be given to prayer. Above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. Be compassionate to foreigners without complaining. Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. For example, if you have the speaking gift, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength God gives you, so that in everything God alone will be glorified through Jesus Christ. For to him belong the power and the glory forever throughout the ages. And can everybody say amen? Amen. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. We're just going to read one verse there, but you can flip over to that. Proverbs 19, 23, also in the Passion Translation. Proverbs 19, 23. If you are there, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you live in a, a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. How many of y'all like those three sentences right there? Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. There is a way to get there. You live a life of abandoned love surrendered before the awe of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this atmosphere that you created. Father, we just invited the creator of the universe into the atmosphere and you created an atmosphere unlike anything on the face of this earth. So Lord, be glorified today in our preaching. Be glorified today, Lord, in everything that is said and done here. But Lord, what we want most of all, what we want most of all is for you to be lifted high and for the impact of your presence to be made in this room, God. Lord, we came to host your presence. Now let your presence do what only your presence can do. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would anoint your servant to preach your word in might and in power and anoint us all to be hearers. And when we have heard this, God, we will not stop there, but we will be doers of the word as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things and everybody who agrees with it shouts amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Are are y'all okay if we got a little something going on behind me? Oh yeah, I figured you might be. I thought it might be just like a a nice little change because I do have a face for radio. (laughs) We have been in the midst of a series that our pastor began uh, here a few weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago. I can't remember exactly how long it's been. But it's a series he's been calling Irresistible and he's been talking about love and about unity. And in this, this particular series that, that, that he's been sharing with us, ministering to us, he's been saying that if the church truly loves 
with the love of God and loves like the church ought to love, then we become irresistible in this earth. Now, I, I'm going to talk to you today, and the message that I'm preaching to you today is a title. I'm titled it Love Uncaged. See, it's almost shocking, almost shocking, the way we have allowed love to become defined in this earth. Amen? The version of love that we have been told to swallow is packed with pride, selfishness, perversion, double standards, deep offense, vitriol, backbiting, gossip, manipulation, corruption, and judgment. And don't even get me started on what it's like outside the church. That's good preaching right there. I don't care what you say. See, there's a thing I need you to understand. Not everybody gets to abide in God's presence. The Bible says that the only way that we get to near, be near God is we abide in his love. That means we live in it. We don't jump in and jump out. We don't tap in, tap out. We don't do the things like that. We live in God's love. This is what David said, a matter of fact, in Psalm 15. He said, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach with his friend, and whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put his money out to usury, and he does not take a bribe against the incident, he who does these things shall never be moved." Now, pastor has said, and I'm going to echo what pastor has said in this place. This is a loving church. Let me tell you this. When, when, when we first came to this church, many of you uh, know, but some of you are new and you don't know the, the testimony. When we first came to this church, the first time I walked in this church, I did not walk in this church as a, as a staff member or a pastor of this house. As a matter of fact, the first time that I walked in this church, I walked down a broken down, walked in a broken down preacher. I was, I was in the midst of, of, of struggle. I was in the midst of hating folk. Oh, maybe probably shouldn't have let that out. I was in the midst of hating folk. I, I'm telling y'all, I was so full up of church, I didn't even want to come here. I didn't want to, now listen, you can hardly get me away from here now, but I didn't want to come here. When we came here, there was a parking team outside and they were running a little uh, golf cart around. I was waiting. I was waiting on my first opportunity to tell somebody no. And I got it right at my car door. They came out and said, would you guys like a ride? I said, no. Chalked up my first win. I was so, listen, I was so ready, y'all, to, to, to find fault with this house to find fault with people. I got all the way to the front door and I was ready. I was ready. Y'all, let me tell you something. I was ready. Those of you who work on a first impressions team, you better brace yourself. I walked in and I was ready to be ugly to folks. I was ready to not look at anybody in the eye. Here was my problem. I walked up there. Somebody opened the door and said, hey, it's great to see you. God bless you. Oh Man, you're kind of sweet. I probably can't be mean to you. So I rolled in the door. I said, you know what? I'm going to go in. We had driven an hour and a half to get here. We used to drive an hour and a half one way to come to church. We used to drive an hour and a half one way to come to church. We used to drive an hour and a half one way to come to church. We used to drive an hour and a half one way to come to church. I'm just saying that for all you who live 15 minutes from here. And it's, oh, that ain't none of y'all in here. Y'all tell somebody who didn't make it this morning. 
We came rolling in the door and I got 10 feet inside the door. And the first person who meets me inside the door says, well, welcome to church. God bless you. Five times by the time I made it to my seat, there was somebody full of love of God and full of the Holy Ghost looking at me and saying, God bless you. Welcome to church. Started beating the stew out of my defenses. We came that day and we ain't never left. Praise the Lord. I need you to understand that this is a loving church. It's a church that comes and, and folk come in here broke, beat up, and disgusted, if you know what I'm talking about. And they come in here and they find healing and restoration and wholeness in the love of God. But the deal is, is that very often we can get caught in, in, in what, was, what we have, have factored out to be a groove and all of a sudden the groove kind of became a little bit of a rut. I figured out that the difference between a groove and a rut is a groove is hard to get into and a rut's hard to get out of. I was preparing for this and I was remembering a story. Some of you, I may have told this story before, but when I was a young man, I got a flash burn from welding and, and I probably would have had bad eyes anyway, but that pretty well helped it right along. However, a lot of you young folks don't know this, but, but years ago, it used to be very uncool to wear glasses. <laughs> we, well, never mind, we'll just stop there. I knew I had bad eyes, but I did not want to go get glasses. So one day my dad pops up and he says, Jay, come on, hop in the car. We're going to go out. We're going to practice driving. I was 14 years old. We, we lived in a small town and we lived just a little bit from an old country road. So dad gets in the car. He pulls the car out. He takes about three or four or five miles down the road. He hops out. I hop into the driver's seat and then we start rolling down the road, High, rolling down Highway 130 uh, in Austin, Georgia. And we're just we're working our way through all of these things. And so my dad, he's, he's teaching me as, a, as any good dad would do, uh, teaching his child to, to, to uh, drive. And so dad says, says, all right, Jay, you see what that sign says up there? And I said, dad said, stop the car. I had the brakes. We were just a little country road. We were right in the middle of everything, you know, nowhere. Dad says, can you not see that sign? I said, no, no, sir. He said, I want you to inch this car forward and when you can read that sign, you let me know. I said, okay. So I pulled my foot off the brake. He said, stop the car, you're blind as a bat, get out. <laughs> I threw the car in park. Dad gets out of the passenger side. I get out of the driver's side. We swap spots again. Dad takes us back home. We get back home and dad promptly makes me an appointment to go to the optometrist. So I go to the optometrist. I get my, I get my uh, uh, glasses prescription. And, and, and many of you also don't know this, but it used to take about a month to get your glasses in. And so I got my glasses prescription and, and, and so as soon as my glasses came in, they took me over to the optometrist office again and they fitted me for my glasses and they, you know, they did, you know, they do all the things to, to get them straight and everything. And apparently I have a crooked face, so they had to do a lot of work. I mean, that was kind of mean for y'all to laugh, but that's okay. <laughs> so they got my glasses set up on my crooked face and and, and, I, and I was leaving out of there. And when I, when I walked outside, I remember this. When I walked outside, 
everything did not seem real to me. The, looking through the glasses, it seemed like everything that I was looking at was animated. It looked like I was watching something on a screen because I had been seeing poorly for so long that when I actually saw with the right eyes, with corrected vision, all of a sudden nothing seemed real to me anymore. My God, doesn't it feel like that sometimes when you get in the house of God? You get in here in the middle of God's presence and God just starts working his thing in this house and the power of God begins to fall on you like, is this even real? I remember wearing those for about two hours. What was very interesting, I wore my glasses for about two hours. And I had to take them off because my head hurt. Because my, my body, my brain, whatever else was registering, was not used to seeing things correctly. And when it began to see them correctly, it was too much for those. I'm wearing glasses in here right now. If I, if I wasn't wearing glasses, I could not read the time on the back of the thing. Or not, I'm not glasses, contacts, pardon me. I, if I wasn't wearing contacts, I couldn't see the thing on there. I, I know everybody's looking like, wow, those are really invisible glasses. <laughs> they are. I got them online. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to read the time back on there. By the way, if you need it, it's 1245 if you're taking medicine. So this is what happens so sometimes when we come into the house of the Lord. It's not that we don't see. It's that we're not seeing clearly. And we come into the house of God and the Lord just comes in and makes a vision correction inside of us. Now, before we get too far, let me go ahead and, and, and talk a little bit about correction. Okay. I mean, I felt you locked down on that one, so I decided I'm going to have to get my endurance up for this one. See, the deal is, is that when we have been seeing with distorted vision for so long, we would likely not be able to spot real genuine love unless we had our vision corrected by God. Because real genuine love is the purest way that we can serve God. But in this whole correction. Let me tell y'all something. I've been in this church, or been in church, how many of y'all know how long? All my little old life. Everybody knows how long I've been in church. All my little old life, Pastor Renfro, I have seen one thing bring more offense than anything else, and that is correction. I have seen it. I'm telling you, I have seen, I have seen offense come in and wind and worm its way into more people's lives because somebody loved them enough to bring correction into their lives. Thank you, sir. So let me help you understand this. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, it said, It is better to be corrected openly if it stems from hidden love. As a matter of fact, if you look at that in the King James or the New King James, it, it, the word corrected there is actually the word rebuke. Wow, right? It is better be to correct it openly if it stems from hidden love. You can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty, but your enemy's pretended flattery comes from insincerity. Psalm 141 verse 5 when one of your godly ones corrects me or one of your faithful ones rebukes me, I will accept it like an honor I cannot refuse. It will be as healing medicine that I swallow without an offended heart. 
even if they are mistaken, I will continue to pray. So let me help you understand a thing because almost exclusively when correction is brought in the house of God, the person who is corrected trumpets this one little statement. Well, y'all are just religious. Correction is not religion. Say it on this side over here. Correction is not religion. Correction is love. This is what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, this is what the Bible says about God. Proverbs 3 verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he what? Oh my goodness gracious. Just as a father in a son in whom he delights. I remember one time one of our, our ladies who has uh, graduated from Hope Farms. She was about to, to finish her time up here. And, and she was coming around. She said, Pastor Jason... You said something to me in my, in my second or third week here, and it changed my whole outlook. I went, oh, my goodness gracious, what in the world? She said, we were in the middle of trail to hell, and, 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 and we were sitting outside, and I, and, I asked, and I came by apparently and said, hey, what are you guys doing? And she said to me, we just got in trouble. And without even thinking, I said, did you get in trouble or did you get corrected? Because that's two different things. Boy, that's good preaching right there. I don't care if you amen me or not. That's fantastic preaching. Did you get in trouble or did you get corrected? Because that's two completely different things. Correcting is making a thing right. Doesn't the Bible say that we need to be right? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after what? Oh. So I think we have beat that horse pretty well, right? As a matter of fact, for me, one of the most important corrections came when I was on the verge of throwing my family away because of unforgiveness and selfishness. We, we were, we were a, a, quite a mess. Full-time ministry and our marriage had been a mess almost since the very beginning. We had been on the verge of divorce many, many times. Boy, I'm being really honest with everybody in here today. I, I don't know if y'all had like a pretty little picture of me or not, but, but we can go ahead and, and, and throw that one in the trash. Now, by the way, just so you know, my marriage is fantastic right now. I had the best marriage I know of. And sorry for you fellas, I have the greatest wife on the face of the earth, but that's okay. We'll just go ahead and let that one. I was on the verge of throwing everything away. This was our last ditch in the church that I was working for. God bless them and thank them. The church that I was working for sent us away to a place that specialized in ministering to ministers and counseling ministers. And so me and my wife went away for a week and, and we were here in this place. And we, you know, we go and we, we do, do the things that we need to do for the, the, the deal and get ready for the preliminaries. And then I think it was the second day they brought us in. And they began to do the counseling with us. They began to go over our stuff and they began to do the counseling with us. And I'll never forget this because we were sitting there and the guy that was our, our counselor was a, was a man of God. His name was Dr. Wilson, I believe. And, and what was so wonderful about what he said, he, he, he was, he, I, I know that God had to minister to him to, to deal with me because he gave me a word picture. He said, Jason, I sense that you have a lot of unforgiveness in your life. There are some people that you are holding offense against. He said, the problem with that, Jason, is that offense is like a, like a cage. 
and you're taking the people who you feel have wronged you or others close to you and you are keeping them locked up in that cage. I don't remember much else that he said for the rest of the, of the time because immediately my mind began to think of, of those things. And this, let, me, let me demonstrate for you what I'm, what I'm talking about. Uh, let me see right here. Come here, Timmy. Come here just a second. You knew when you saw that cage come out, you were going to go in it, right? So, so, so let's, let's say that Timmy represents somebody who I have been a fantastic friend to, but I don't think that Timmy has been a good as friend to me as I have been to him. That I've given more, I've done more, and every time I do for Timmy, out of the goodness of my heart, it seems like Timmy takes advantage of me. Timmy, you've been a lousy, stinking friend. And you get in the cage. You, you know what I'm talking about. Come right here, Joe. Joe represents somebody who betrayed me. Me and Joe, we were, we were, we were, we were in partnership together. We were, we were doing big things together. And then Joe, to save his own stinking skin, decided he was going to turn on me and betray me. You know what, Joe? You get in here. Come here, Trey. Trey. Trey represents a culture I didn't grow up with and I was learned to hate in my life. Oh, that's good preaching right there. I don't care what you say. That immediately when I see Trey, I don't have to know Trey. I'm going to judge Trey by what I see on the outside. Trey, get in my cage. My cage of unforgiveness. Oh, oh man. But listen. You don't, you don't even begin to know. You don't even begin to know. Uh, Molly, come here. Molly, come here. Molly represents somebody who broke my heart. Represents somebody who I thought was supposed to be the one who, and, and made all kinds of promises to me. Made all these things and all of a sudden... Come here, Pastor Luke, come here. Pastor Luke represents a preacher who I didn't feel like treated me right. Didn't do the right thing, brought correction to me. I double dog dare you to bring correction to me again, sir. Let me tell you something. I'm just as righteous as you are. I'm just as holy as you are. I can read the same Bible you do, and I'm just as anointed as you are. The Bible says I'm a king and I'm a priest. So what do you have to say to me, sir? All of a sudden, then you, 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 your, your whole cage begins to get full, and then it begins to get super easy, super easy. Come here, Aaron. Come here, Aaron Henderson. So that stinking kid who wasn't paying attention on the road and cut me off. I know it doesn't seem like a big thing, but it was a big thing to me, and you need to learn your lesson, punk. You understand me? 
Jeshua, you bring your whole row, your whole row. Y'all can stay right there. Your whole stinking row. Y'all can stay there. Your whole, whole row. Because here's the problem. I went to youth group when I was a kid, and that place was so stinking cliquish, and everybody just knew everybody there, and they made me an outsider. Well, let me tell you something. That ain't the that ain't way church is supposed to be. So you know what? Get in my cage, you old cliquish people. That's right. You just want to go ahead and run it. And so my problem is that I go around my entire life. Now, here's the real problem. This is the big one. This is the big one. Oh. I'll look at your neighbor and say, this is the big one. Come right there, sir, with your, with your hat on backwards there. Thank you, sir. You represent somebody who wronged somebody I love, and I'm offended on their behalf now. Yeah, come on, slide in my cage. Yes, sir. Oh, listen, listen, don't act like you ain't never been offended on somebody else's behalf. Don't act like you ain't never hated her boyfriend who treated her some kind of wrong way. Then all of a sudden they got back together and she loves him again. Now you hate her because she's back with him because what he did to her. Mm. Well, I'm telling you, I, listen, I'm already in your cupboards, in your cabinets. I have already got poured myself a glass of milk. I'm looking for the cereal. So I got all these people locked up in my cage. Oh, y'all thought it was cute, didn't you? <laughs> all these folk decided to be locked up. Oops, excuse me there. Locked up in my cage. This is the way things are going to be. See, I need you to understand something. That you thought this was a temporary thing. You thought this was some kind of thing. Let me tell you what this is. This is you'll learn to never do Jason Michael Branson wrong ever again. And if you try to do something wrong to somebody else, I'll lock you up even harder. Do you understand me? That's good preaching right there. I don't care what you're saying. See, here's my problem. My whole problem is, is that to keep my prisoner secure, I got to keep an eye on every one of you. Because the problem is, is that little clever one right there and that clever one right there and that clever one right there are going to try to get together and they're going to try to get out of my cage. They're going to try to figure out some way to maneuver themselves out of my cage. And so while they're over there trying to plot and plan and trick and trap, then I'm just over here saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You never will get out of my cage. Do you understand me? My cage. You'll think again about laughing about me. <laughs> You'll think again about betraying me and doing me wrong. And you, sir, will think again about hurting somebody that I care about. You'll think again, buddy. See, this is my problem. My problem is because I've got to keep an eye on them. This is what the Lord began to show me sitting there in that, on, that, on that couch that day of that, of that psychologist. Everybody else's cage was this big and mine was this big. 
So I could never stray far from the cage. See, here's the thing. If I, if I wanted to go over here and, oh man, that Justin Hightower, he looks like loads of fun. I see what you're trying to do. I'd like to have an unselfish relationship with my wife. The problem is, is and if she ticks me off enough, she'll wind up in here too. See, this is the thing I need you to understand while we sit in here and we talk about unforgiveness and you walk up to this altar and you say you want to forgive and then you walk out and you keep unforgiving. The reason we keep harping on unforgiveness is because we want you to live uncaged. See, the problem with most people that I keep in the cage, they're walking around free as birds and I'm the one locked up over here. So you need to understand something. When I'm holding a fence and I'm keeping people captive to unforgiveness, I'm as bound to the cage as they are. This chain's keeping me held more than it's keeping any of them held. Got them locked up inside this thing. Every time I try to move on, I can't move on. I'm trying to move forward, I can't move forward. See, this is, this is the other part about it is because as long as I keep people caged, I can't receive anything that they have a gifting for. So the deal is, Trey, you can, you can play and sing and do everything that you want to, sir, but I'm not going to get anything out of it because I've got something against you. The power of God can move so mightily in the youth group. I can walk in ugly and I can walk out ugly because I got something against you. I can't receive from anything you have to offer as long as I keep you caged. And here's the other part. I, I can't see anything else in the world as long as I'm watching you. There's a big wide world out there. There's hundreds of people sitting out in this sanctuary, but I only have eyes for you right now. That's what I've got to keep looking at. I'm bound, I'm bound, I'm so bound to this cave. I love it that today is Independence Day. I love that today is a day that we celebrate freedom. Because today, we're about to hand you a key. And no matter what they've done or said, I'm about to let everybody go.
See, the Bible doesn't say that you need to be revengeful. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that if there is vengeance to be had, the vengeance belongs to God. And if anybody wronged him, I look at him every morning when I brush my teeth. I wronged him just as much as anybody. Every sin that I committed, I committed against God. Everything that I did wrong, I did wrong against God. See, I need you to understand this. that The Bible says that we didn't love him first. We love because we were loved first. That's where this whole thing comes from. I can't love you outside of God. I got to love you through him. I got to love you through the love that he gives to me. What was the first love he gave to me? He took my wrongs that I had done against him. And he said, the chains are gone, sir. You are no longer bound to that. The word of God actually tells us the best way to fix when somebody has wronged us. Proverbs 25, verse 21, 22. Is your enemy hungry? Buy him lunch. We'll just let that one sink in. By the way, y'all like my sweatshirt? Is your enemy hungry? Buy him lunch. Win him over with your kindness. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. And God will reward you with favor. See, real genuine love doesn't just forgive, it gives. See, the thing is, is that we cut ourselves off short while when we walk up in here and we say, no, I'm going to forgive. But then we leave out of here and we decide that we're going to still be selfish. Third John uh, verses five through eight, my beloved friend, I commend you for your demonstration of faithful love by all that you have done for the brothers on their journey, even though they were strangers at the time. They have shared publicly with the congregation about the beautiful acts of love you have shown them. Now, if you would be so kind, send them on their way with a generous gift in a manner that would honor God. You see, it was their passion for the glory of the name of Christ that launched them out and, and, and they've not accepted financial support from unbelievers. They are deserving of all the support we can give them because through our giving, we can partner with them for the truth. Real, genuine love gives. James chapter 2, verse 8 through 19, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well. How, how much better would life be if everybody just followed what we learned as the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. See, this is what James says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery, adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak 
and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. I, I don't know what it is about folk that when you ask them how things are between them and God, they say, well, I believe in God. Well, congratulations, you and demons. But how are we going to really show people that the love of God is in us? Real, genuine love forgives and it gives. Oh man, listen, I, I need you to understand. I, there, was a, there was a guy I went to church with one time and uh, I worked with a person who had worked with him. And they knew where I went to church and they said to me, do you go to church with such and such person? And I said, I said, yeah. And he said, I don't like him. Now, just so you guys know that under normal circumstances, if you're close to me, as soon as you tell me you don't like somebody that I love, then I probably don't like you. I mean, I love you, but I don't like you. So I kind of was saying, what in the world's wrong with him? And he said, where we worked before, there would be times, they worked in a, a distribution place for a grocery store, and he said, there would be times that, that they would have, uh, uh, like, you know, damaged things, and they would send that home with the warehouse workers. And, and he, said, he said, I remembered so many times we'd have bags of damaged charcoal or bags of this or, or boxes of this, and it'd be damaged, and they were going to send it home with somebody. But this guy who was our supervisor would look and say, I'm going to give some to him, but I'm not going to give any to him. I kind of had to half agree with him. I didn't like that either. See, real genuine love is not selfish and it doesn't have preferences like that. See, the thing about real genuine love is it forgives and it gives, but real genuine love serves. See, this is, this is a, a, a super important thing. I know, listen, I know, I know all y'all came in here and expected a shouting message and, and, and shouting messages are for preachers. I came in here today to give you something that if you walk out with this thing and you live this thing out, I promise you, your life will be better starting today. I can say that with full confidence because the deal was is that the very minute that I stopped with the confounded cage, that was the minute that I realized that God put me on this earth not to keep people locked up in a cage of unforgiveness, but to serve. Thank you. James chapter 3. 
Verse 13, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show good conduct by his works, that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Watch this, because we're going to camp out on verse 16 for just a minute. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So when I have malice in my heart, when I am self-seeking, when I am selfish, when I presume that the whole world is about me, even when I give to you in the hopes that you will reciprocate back to me. By the way, that's not giving, that's manipulation. It's good preaching right there. When I have self-seeking in my heart, here's two things that I invite into my life. Number one, confusion. I invite confusion into my life. If I am holding things against people and I have malice in my life and I am self-seeking, I invite confusion. It's like I said, you know what, confusion? Here's the key to the house. You come and go as you please. But the problem is, the problem is with spirits that come from the evil one is they travel in packs. And so this is what the Bible says. It's not just confusion that enters your life. It is every evil work. If you've wondered why your house is not a house of peace. If you've wondered why you always manage to get over just for a minute in your finances and then if you wonder why your marriage goes from bump, 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 okay, to bump, 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 bump. If you wondered why you can't shake your pornography addiction, if you wondered why you can't stop committing adultery, if you wondered why you, why you, you, you can't uh, quit stealing from your job, if you wondered why you can't be, quit being disrespectful to your parents, if you wondered why you can't do all these things, I come up, I pray, I plead, I pray, I plead, I get on my face before God, and then two days later, I'm right back at it again. Are you being self-seeking? See, bitter envy and self-seeking in my heart, the Bible says, is earthly, sensual, and demonic. There's good news, though, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who... Oh. See, let me show you what, what normally happens. This is what normally happens. This is what happened, this is what happened in my life. And so I, I've, I've watched it be demonstrated in the lives of other people uh, before as well. But this is what happened in my life. When my wife and I were in the midst of our, our, our giant marital difficulties, I would have uh, 
said that 99% of our problems were her fault and 1% of them were mine. And I would feel like I was being very generous then. I would have said, you know, because this is what almost everybody says. When they sit down and they have to, to talk to you about problems that are going on in relationship. Well, I know I've got some things I got to work on, but they. We probably could have left a conjunction out there. I know I've got some things to work on. Period. But they, see, this is what we presume because I, 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 now I'm speculating here, but I would have probably also think that my wife would have said that 99% of our problems were my fault, 1% were hers, and she would have definitely been being generous. So this is what we do is we, we, we decide, okay, well, I'm going to do this much because I have a shorter way to go to reconciliation. I have a shorter way to go to be loving. I have a shorter way to go to be nice. So I'm gonna do this much, but I'm not doing any more until they make their way at least to here. Oh buddy, that's good preaching right there. I don't care what you say. Well, their problem is, Pastor Jason, they're 95% wrong and I'm 5% wrong. Well, congratulations. Why don't you own 100% of your 5%? That's good preaching right there. See, I need you to understand that in the kingdom of God, he does not pass out 89s and 91s and 95s. The kingdom of God is pass and fail. You either pass with 100 or you fail. Oh man, Pastor Jason, that doesn't sound like the kingdom of God to me. Well, you're dead wrong. The Bible says that no unrighteousness will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't care how much you get right in the living, you get wrong. It will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That causes separation from God. So, this is what we do. We we decide I'm gonna move this far and they're gonna move this far. And if they don't move any further past that, then the next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna regress to how I was before because they're not putting any effort. So I'm not gonna put any effort either. That, my friends, is the definition of selfish. And when you do that, you just tell your enemy, hey, come on and live in my house. Everything you want, be involved in my finances, be involved with my kids, be involved with my health, be involved with everything. You can have free reign of the place. None of you would do that. But by our selfishness and our bitter envy, we do. See, this is what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? You jealously wonder what others have to, so you begin to see yourself better than others. You scheme with envy and harm to, to others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it for your asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your selfish desires. Oh man, James. See, the thing is, is that 
My job is not to tit for tat with Matthew Henderson in the kingdom. Well, Matthew, I'm going to do this, but you do this. And then when you do this, I'll do this. And when you do this and I'll do this. No, the, the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, that we should show kindly affection to each other and try to outdo one another in showing honor. So mine and your job is not to keep score. Mine and your job is to do our best to outdo one another with honor. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says we should outdo each other by showing honor. See, real genuine love forgives. Real genuine love gives. Real genuine love serves. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed before, but when I preach, I exclusively preach with white towels. Part of it is because I'm sweaty. But the selection of a white towel actually came sitting in Pasadena Memorial High School as a young lady was setting up that particular year of Youth for Christ. I was a youth pastor and I had the, the, the high privilege of being the youth pastor representative for Pasadena Memorial's Youth for Christ group. And they had a bunch of on-fire, Holy Ghost-filled teenagers in there. They were amazing. I got to go every week and, and be with them, preach to them. Lord have mercy. I preached to them hundreds of times. Chance preached to them. I mean, it was just a, they were so open. But I was there the day that she was setting up leadership. All of the people who had been voted for, you had your president, vice president, and your Secretary and your treasurer and whatever else was involved there, all the people who were in leadership. And a young lady got up there and she was holding a rag in her hand, a white towel, had writing on it. I couldn't see what the writing was. I kept trying to look to see. And she was talking about how she learned that being in a leadership position, that the higher you went into leadership, the more you served. And she said, just before I came into leadership with this, we had a, we had a minister come to our youth group. And she said, he walked up to me and he had a the towel, this towel in his hand. He had been preaching with it. And he came up and he prophesied over her what kind of leadership that she would do for the kingdom and all these things. And then he handed me this towel and said, now you're a leader, get this dirty. I sat there that day with tears pouring down my face. That young lady was there, tears pouring down her face. Every, every student that was in there, the teacher that was the rep, we were all sitting there with tears pouring down our face. The writing that was on it was she had written the date, the person who gave it to her, and three words. Get this dirty. See, the Bible says that 
the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, just hours before every person who was close to him would run out on him. One of them would betray him. His best friend would deny him. Jesus got his towel out and he washed all of their feet. And then when he sent them on their way, he said, this is, this is what you do. You, what I did for you today, you do this for everybody else. She handed out white rags to all of her leadership that day, including one to me. I have given away more white towels Every time I preach, I want to preach with one because I want to be reminded, Pastor Luke. I'm not up here for everybody to look and say, oh man, what, what an incredible guy Jason is. I'm here to get this dirty. Real, genuine love. It forgives. It gives. And it serves. Can I go a little bit further? Is that okay? Okay, good. Thank you. One day I was just in the presence of the Lord and I felt like God was ministering to me and said I want you to come up I want to give you a mission statement for your life I'd heard it before and helped you know with like business stuff I'd never thought about it so much about a personal mission statement so I went into a little time of fasting and prayer not, not a long one two or three days one day I was in there and I was reading First Peter chapter four, verse 10 and 11. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, here it is. I was reading in the New Living Translation that year and it, he said, God has given you, each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The Lord spoke to me and he said, there's your mission in life. Your mission in life is to serve. So with the Lord's help, I got the wording down and I, I wrote it down. So this is the mission statement for my life. With everything in me, serve God and serve others, especially those closest to me. See, the especially those closest to me is a big one because for very often I served everybody out here because I wanted to get all their congratulations and all their accolades and everything else. And when I got home, I made my family ring out what was left. See, here's the beautiful thing about my life changing is that when I wake up every morning, the first person I need to serve is laying next to me. I don't have to look around for what the will of God is. She's right there. 
when I walk out the door of my bedroom and I go downstairs, the next person that I need to serve is sitting on the couch. He's already started his work day. She's generally not up before I leave. <laughs> but the next person that I need to serve lives in the bedroom on the corner. When I leave my house, Pastor Luke and Gracie, Britton, Nick, I get here to the church, Tange, Miss Helen. The next people I need to serve. They're right here. I don't have to look around for the will of God. I, I don't. Isn't that wonderful? How many times have we spent our lives saying, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. And I do. With everything in me, serve God and serve others especially those closest to me. And I'm not serving you because I'm amazing. If I serve you from a gift, it was a gift. <laughs> I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Don't know how I got it. Each one of us has been given a gift from God's great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another but the truth is is that 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 to to get the real test of serving it's not in the doing because we've we've done a lot of doing that our hearts weren't in you remember how jesus said these people draw near to me with their mouths but they're yeah far from me So I started a thing years ago. It's a, a little test of the motivations of my heart. It is a test I have never passed completely. What I do is I take 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7. And I replace the word love with my first name. I've never passed all the way. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First Corinthians four says love is patient and kind. So I just replace that word. Jason is patient and kind. I, I sometimes don't make it past the first sentence. Jason is not just jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. Hmm. Jason does not demand his own way. Jason is not irritable. And Jason keeps no record of being wronged. Jason does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jason never gives up, never loses faith, 
is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Mr. Ray, I've never passed. I'm working on it though. I'm working on it every day. I'm trying to be better today than I was yesterday. See, because the Bible says, John said, God is love. God is agape. And this love here is agape. And if I want to be like him, I got to be like this. One day I'll pass. But I won't stop trying. One day, hopefully, if I did this right, Trey, if I, if I served well enough, if I did it in a way that pleases God, then one day, one day I just won't be able to read that scripture and put my name there, but the people who are close to me will be able to do that too. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful for your spouse to be able to call your name and say that they're patient, kind, not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude? Wouldn't it be nice one day for your kids to say that you do not demand your own way, you're not irritable, and you keep no record of being wronged? See, real, genuine love, it forgives, it gives, and it serves, and it does it from a pure heart. So if you will, stand with me all over. I'm going to let you guys go in just a few minutes, but the, the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. We sang moments ago that where the spirit of the Lord is, that there's freedom. There's about to be a freedom that's going to be released in this house. Some of you. When Molly got up and began to prophesy earlier and she said that the Lord told her that there were going to be people who walked in with weights that they had had for a long time. I said, come on, Jesus. Because the day is the day to drop the weight. Today is the day to take the keys out of your pocket and unlock the cage. Today is the day Quit being selfish and give. Today's the day to get this dirty. We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.